Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 421 of the Juice Box Podcast. On today's show, Rachel is here. She's a type one who's a CDE, and she's uh, Australian. You know what I mean? Right. Okay. Well, that was awkward. Let's get to the rest of it. I don't think I've laughed this much in a long time while interviewing someone for the podcast. Rachel Baker is fantastic. She brings a perspective that's a little different, but not as different as you would think. And she has a lot of great insights about a number of the things that we talk about here on the podcast. This episode was both fun and insightful, thanks to Rachel. Please remember while you're listening that nothing you hear on the Juice Box podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. Always consult a physician before making any changes to your healthcare plan or becoming bold with insulin. Before the end of the year gets here, I'd like to remind you that by visiting T1D Exchange forward slash juicebox, you'd be supporting the podcast and type 1 diabetes research. So if you have a cell phone or a computer and you have a few minutes and you live in the United States of America and you have type 1 diabetes or love someone who does, swing on by and see what you can do. Join the registry, support the podcast, support research. This episode of the Juice Box Podcast is sponsored by the tubeless insulin pump that my daughter has been wearing since she was four years old, Omnipod. Omnipod would love to send you a free, no-obligation demo. All you have to do to get it is go to myomnipod.com forward slash juice box. It'll just show up in your mailbox I'm mean, after you go to the website and fill out the stuff. And to learn more about the Dexcom G6 Continuous Glucose Monitor, dexcom.com forward slash juice box. That's it. Links to all of the advertisers are right there in the show notes of your podcast player and at juiceboxpodcast.com. Let's get going. My name is Rachel Baker. I'm a, a credential diabetes educator that works in Brisbane uh, in Australia. Uh, my, I myself have type 1 diabetes and have done so for uh, 13 years, so relatively a baby, I would say. Um, I'm just about to study my nurse practitioners uh, in diabetes education, and I just love the flexible approach to managing type 1. So you got a very, very quick response from me because you said that in your work, you talk to people in in similar ways that we talk on the podcast. And I'm very interested in that idea. So I got back to you very quickly. Um, and, and so I want to pick through that a little bit. But first, let me think. 13 years, 2005? Uh, 2000 and, oh, hang on. Maybe I've done the wrong math. No, maybe I'm wrong. 2007. Seven. Okay. <laughs> so wait, has Arden so had diabetes? Long? Oh no. You know what I just did? <laughs> that was interesting. Sorry. Arden was born in 2004. <laughs> you said 13 years, which seemed like one year less than Arden has had diabetes. So I said 2005, even though Arden wasn't diagnosed until 2006, which would have made me say 2007. So I sometimes confuse the year she was born with the year she was diagnosed. And I've just done it there. Okay, good. So, so let me just start over again. <laughs> what I was going to say. So Rachel, were you diagnosed in 2007? Yes, oh, that's correct. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, that's a, a, it's, 
interesting. It's in that middle ground. It's a shorter compared to some people, but very long time to have type one diabetes. Yeah, and I, I do feel in that middle ground. I feel like I'm in that middle ground. Yeah, right. Like you're, like you're, you're ready for your second contract, but you're not going to make the big money. Not yet. You know what I mean? Like in, yeah. in sports. Yeah. Yep. Like you've proven yourself, and you get to stay a little longer, but uh, you're not an all star yet. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly that. Exactly that. But you guys yep. do you even have yep. sports, or do you guys just get on those kangaroos and ride them around with a stick, <laughs> polo? No, we've got we've got Australian football. Do those things really fight? <laughs> do you ever see them? Like you're outside, down. and you're like, "There's a kangaroo beating up a mailbox or anything like that." Nothing like that ever really happens. Yeah, I mean, I mean, not a mailbox, but yeah, kangaroos to other kangaroos. Yeah, sure. Yeah, oh, if you're amazing. out, if you're out, out rural, yeah. How come that how come that Instagram is not just filled with that? If if I lived in Australia, my Instagram would just be videos of kangaroos kicking the shit out of each other. I just I'd be like, look, we have the UFC down here for marsupials. Uh everyone look. And I'd have the most popular Instagram ever. I don't know. Somebody's gotta get on it. Uh anyway. So 13 years, but Australia. And Australia is really interesting. And as I told you right before we started recording. You're the third person from Australia I've recorded with this in in like Mm. seven days. Uh, Your healthcare system and what's available there for you has been very kind of stringent, and but it's getting better. Mm. But it's getting better for cash patients, right? Is that the extent so far? Mm. Yeah, I mean, pretty much. I mean, I mean, I find it very interesting comparing our healthcare, I guess, accessibility with diabetes compared to overseas. Because I feel like we're always a couple of steps behind. Mm-hmm. Um, my passion is in technology and all the different types of therapies. So my number one thing that I do is constantly stay up to date with what's being released. But you're right in saying it, it, it feels like, particularly with CGM, um, and I think you've mentioned this, this a lot on your podcast, and I truly believe CGM is the game changer. Mm. Whether you've got a pump or not, I think a pump is excellent. But CGM for me and in my clinical experience is the game changer. But if, if you're in Australia, you can only get subsidized CGM if you're under 21, uh, if you're planning pregnancy or you're pregnant or you're over 21 and, and you have a concession card. So you, you're reaching a, a sort of a low income or you're achieving a low income that um, enables you to access it. But otherwise, I mean, if you want to run the Dexcom system, it is, it is about five grand per year. Huh. That's $5,000 a year. That is just a lot of money for most, most everybody. You, you know, um, of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, and at the same time, if you really knew, if you really knew and you had $5,000 that you could shave out of your budget somewhere, you'd do it. Mm. You, you know, you, and I see, mm. people, I see people do those things all the time, make, make those, you know, it's funny. I was going to say concessions because you said concession card, and I'm still not sure why it's called a concessions card, but we'll get back to that. What is the concession <laughs> that you can't afford it? Uh, yeah, so you can, you can have an he- a healthcare card or a concession card, but basically the government deems you to um, be in a certain threshold in terms of the income or if you're a full-time student, so if you're in high school. You know, I don't want to fall down a rabbit hole this early in an episode, but concession means the same thing in Australia that it does everywhere else, right? <laughs> like, like I would think so. Like you're making yeah. a concession. <laughs> like like if, if you and I started, like, say we're married. And uh, you point out something about me that is wrong, and I disagree with it. And ev- eventually, through just browbeating and constant torture, 
I make the concession that you're correct. You're understanding the word concession correctly, right? You know, it's interesting, Scott, because yes, that is that is the meaning of the word, but I'm so used to associating it with a concession and a healthcare card that I've actually forgot that that is the meaning of the word. <laughs> I, I associate it with a certain a certain income bracket. <laughs> it's funny because then there's there's either a, a a definition for it that I don't know, or the idea is that the the government of Australia is conceding that you can't afford your health care. Right, mm. I, I, okay, yeah. this doesn't matter, but, but it really struck me. <laughs> Seriously, I'm so sorry. I'm like, I'm like, let's let's pick this word apart a little longer. It just really doesn't make any sense to me. But I'm gonna get past it. It's a concession card, uh, and and so, but under tw- isn't it interesting how this works? When they put it into play for you, it's if you're under 21. So my thought there is they're saying a child. Um, so they're saying, look, we don't want kids to suffer low blood sugar incidences, so we'll let them have them, it, which is a, a complete undervaluing of what CGM does. And then they say, if you're pregnant, mm. because of course you have to have a grade A1C while you're pregnant for the baby. But mm. what about everyone else? Mm. Like, like, why is it not important for everyone else to have that level of health and outcome? You know what I mean? I know it's money, but still, it's it's a weird place to draw the line, I think. Yeah, yeah. I work a lot with uh, adolescents in that teenage years as they tr- uh, transition to their adulthood. Mm-hmm. And, you know, 21 is the year that they're finishing uni, they're moving out of home, they're trying to get their first job. And it's awful when they hit that, as soon as they have their 21st birthday, it's taken away and, and they lose that subsidy and they're not in a position Usually, you know, most of the time at right. that age of 21 to fork out an extra five grand a year uh, on their diabetes. And that's, of course, you know, that's on top of all the insulin and, you know, if they've got an insulin pump or anything else like that. So, yeah, it is it is a huge issue that we're facing. But, I mean, in, in the defence of the government, each year they are providing us with greater subsidies. So the pregnancy aspect is new. Mm-hmm. But like you mentioned with pregnancy, I, I have this real, I don't know what a, a complex with, how tight we manage during pregnancy. And of course, I love that. You know, I love, I love running tight. But why do we do that when it's at the cost of another human being? You know, you're growing this fetus, you know, into utero. Why are we so good at managing diabetes so tightly when there's another life on the line? But if it's just your own life and your own diabetes, we seem to be, oh, that's fine, you know, a little bit laxy-daisy. And we actually completely adjust the targets so I don't understand why we have that double standard between pregnancy and just everyday management. Yeah, it's confounding, isn't it? It it really is that the the same doctor who's telling you you have to have this, this is what needs to be, this is what health looks like. But the baby comes like, you know, slip and sliding out and it's out, and then you show back up at your endo and they're like, All right, well, back to whatever. <laughs> Good for you. Yeah. You're gonna yeah, be, and, they'll, exactly. and they'll, they'll support it with saying things like you know, there's a lot going on with the baby right now and you're tired and everything. And you don't want to burn out. Like, it's always that you don't want to burn out. Yep. I, and I, I I really think that you can boil it down to the timing of the insulin, right? Like, you have to, like, having to think about pre-bolusing at a meal is a really strange thing. And if you can't get it into such practice that it just becomes common for you and you don't think about it and and i don't see it happen for everybody i don't even see it happen Mm. in my own home like i'm the one yelling pre-bolus all the time 
And, mm-hmm. and you mm-hmm. know, any problem that my wife ever has while she's managing my daughter, it stems from not pre-bolusing. Like, she does everything else exactly the way she should, but mm. she works from home sometimes. So if she finds herself around Arden, she's working. So she's not – and her work is different than mine. Mine's a little more um, – I don't know, artsy, I guess, in a strange way. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, I'm in and out of my mm. head a lot, but but she's in her head constantly. She's sitting and thinking and writing and and um, or talking to someone. She doesn't have time to be considering, oh, we have to pre Um And I yeah. force myself yeah. to. Yeah. Um, and so I think that yeah. there's something in there with that. Like, if you didn't have to think about that one aspect, mm. I would think that the burnout rate would change. Um, because I'm about to have yeah. back on, uh, if you've, did you follow the woman who I had on, who I, I talked to her through every trimester of her pregnancy? Have you heard that? Yes. Yes. I saw the first few of those. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I heard the so, first few. Yes. So she's coming back on, um, soon because uh, I said, let's, let's do one a few months after you've had the baby and you're out of your mind. Like, I thought that would be fun. And I'm already seeing <laughs> when you're already just like, what did we do? Why? Why did we do this? <laughs> um, and I've seen, I haven't spoken to her, but I'm seeing on her social media that she looks a little tired and that it's making mm-hmm. her diabetes more difficult. And I think that's really what we're talking about. I can't wait to speak to her to find out exactly if, if that's how she feels. But that, from my perspective, is the most difficult thing. And then I think the doctors believe that that's true and don't want to, again, burn you out. So then they start saying, well, let's just be a little more loose with it. But you said you really don't like that. Can you tell me why? Yeah, I think I I, I personally, I think there is a middle ground. And my goal always in my own personal diabetes and, and my patients as well is to find that middle ground where you can run that that sort of type management but not always hit that burnout. And I think it comes down to, you know, you know how you mentioned about your timing of your bolus. A hundred percent. I think you can have your dose bang on, but if you miss that timing, that's everything. You know, that's everything. All your hard work essentially is, is completely thrown off. And I always say, you know, if you can just aim, because pre-bolusing is hard. In real life, pre-bolusing is hard. So if you can aim for at least 80% of your day, you know, or, or two out of three of your meals per day, just to reduce that post-meal spike at least, you know, two out of three times a day, I think we can find some sort of of a happy medium of living a life where your diabetes isn't taking over, but then not having that complete roller coaster uh, on your CGM, CGM ride. But I, I do agree, you know, it sort of sounds like a throwaway comment. Oh, why can't we just aim as tight as we do in pregnancy for the rest of our lives? Yeah, well, of course, that's going to be going to be hard work. But I think that I really think that there's a way that you can sort of meet in the middle mm. and not be too stringent with your management, uh, but sort of find that happy medium. And at the times that you're experiencing burnout, and this is sort of what I do with my patients, you know, at the times you're going to be over diabetes. I think it's okay. You know, if you have a week where you just don't pre-bolus that week, that's okay as long as you sort of recognize it, sit with it, and then you can sort of rebuild and move on from there. Yeah, I guess the most difficult part as a person is to not get stuck in that new normal that you make for yourself. Like, I'm just going to ease up this week becomes, I'm just going to ease up this month becomes, well, in the spring. Like, you know what I mean? Like, and yeah. and that happens to people all the time. It really is interesting because what you're battling against is um, it, it's it's architecture of people. Like, it's it's different types of, of how people's minds work. 
Um, you know, you all you have to do is look online at people who are like super into fitness, right? And they're just you look at them and you're like, they're chiseled out of stone. These people, you, you know, like they they, they they're talking about <laughs> yeah. micronutrients and 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 I don't know if if I followed them for a lifetime if they'd always be doing that, but some people would be. Some people are just wired like that's what they care about first, and so they do yep. it. And so I don't think that. A person who doesn't think the pre-bolus or really struggles with remembering it is a is a bad person. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that they're just they're wired differently. Maybe they're just a little more, you know, fanciful in their minds and things just kind of float away on them and you know, they're more in the moment and, and not as structured. And then it's easy to look mm. back and say, Well, make yourself more structured. It's your health, which you know, I can agree with academically, but you can't just change how you how you function. The real answer to all of this is insulin that works mm. more quickly. And oh yeah. That that fixes everybody's problem. If you take away needing to pre-balls, A, I lose my podcast. But uh but, but <laughs> that's okay. I'll be I'll be tired of it by then anyway. Uh but it just changes everything. If you could eat and bolus at the same time and have the same results you did mm. as pre-bolusing and eating, it would change diabetes for mm. everybody. You know? Yeah. I don't know. Well, that's, I mean, you're going to need a magic wand or you could just traipse out there into the, whatever that is there where you guys live and find some bug that we haven't discovered yet and milk it. <laughs> Did you see that? Did you see that thing recently? The venom of something they're looking at for as insulin. What the hell? Jenny sent it to me. Snail venom. No. Uh, uh, oh, did you see that? Um, was it as insulin though? I, d I did see this thing about the snail. Sea snail um, venom used to create a new type of insulin that could provide a safer, more effective treatment for type one diabetes. I don't know. I mean, yeah, obviously, I, did. I, don't I, I didn't even click on it. I didn't click on it. I just saw it and I was like, no. <laughs> well, because I saw it and thought the same thing, and then Jenny was like emailing it to me. She's like, wouldn't this be fun? And I was like, yes, Jenny, it would be very fun if cone snail spray insulin venom. Oh, here it is. Cone snails spray insulin venom into the water to lower the blood sugar of fish. Oh, the snail uses the insulin wow. to slow. So it makes the blood sugar low of the things around it so that it can either escape or attack it. And it's it works more quickly. This snail insulin is faster acting than regular human insulin and, quote, ready to go. So what wow. We, so, so right now, Rachel, quit your job. And start raising cone snails, you're going to be rich. One day. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to start putting that in my pump. I'm going to get some snails. You're going to need a. That. You're going to need a lot of them. <laughs> and why? You know, a little quick thing, a little uh, question to the Daily Mail: Why are the women on your website naked all the time? Jesus, I'm trying to find out about <laughs> snail venom. There's a girl with a mink coat that's not dressed. What is that? That's not the news, United Kingdom. <laughs> That's pornography. <laughs> My goodness. All right. Um, <laughs> Jesus. That took me by surprise. That girl was like from the 70s. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Anyway. Oh, sorry. I don't know that snail venom is uh, is the answer, but I love that people are you know looking into it. Anyway, so you're teaching in – first, let me understand you, you are a CDE. Um, and does mm -hmm. that about mean the same thing that it does here in America? Like, is there a doctor in the practice, but you're doing most of the work? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, no, we got we got an excellent team of doctors. I work in the public and the private space, so I work in a 
uh, you know, sort of a large diabetes hospital centre. And then I also work uh, privately. And it, it's different. You know, there's a bit of different uh, level of autonomy between the roles. Mm-hmm. Of course, privately, I'm just consulting the patients uh, and then just reporting back to the endocrinologist. But I guess in the, in the public space, it is more of a team team effort, I would say. Okay. But yeah, my answer to that question is is yes. <laughs> so I come in as a person with diabetes. I have my my visit. I see you mostly. Is that right? Does the doctor come in to see me at all, or is it you during the visit? You know, interesting. Interestingly, it depends on the age. Depends on the age. So if you are coming into the adolescent uh, clinic, you know, the younger adult clinic, or mm-hmm. even you know. Yeah, I mean, pediatrics is a lot more uh, work with the parents. But if you're in the adolescent or the transition clinic, you'll spend a lot of time with the educator. Uh, and then, of course, you've got the psychologist and the dietitian as well. And then uh, you'll have a little bit of time with the doctor. But more so, your time is spent with the educator. But when they hit that adult space, it's quite the opposite. They don't really want to see the educator. They sort of just want to go in, see the doctor. They know what they know, get their scripts, and then yeah, go on. You really turn into more of the the nice lady with the prescription pad, and that, and yeah. you just need to get in and out. Now, yeah, is that for um, how? What's my question here? Do we just make a concession that some adults have just fallen into a pattern and we can't help them anymore, so we just support them along the way they've decided to manage themselves, or are you still trying to improve things for them because? That's an interesting thing, like because adults can be very good at at coming in and you know what do I want to say? You know, presenting a story that they think you're going to accept and it'll sound good enough to you that you let mm-hmm. it go, but they may still be struggling. Is there less of the yeah. of the picking through the situation and trying to help than there is with kids? I think so. I think because if you haven't got that level of engagement, uh, it's hard. You know, it's hard. They really sometimes are not willing to sit and have a conversation about their diabetes. Mm-hmm. Um, and it can be on two ends of the spectrum. Either one, they present this beautiful story. You know, everything's fine. You know, I'm okay. Um, you know, I change my insulin cartridge, you know, every seven days. Change my can every seven days. But I'm fine. You know, everything's fine. Um, or, and you know, they've just got a HBA up, up in the tens. Or it's going to be the other way. And they're there and they really want your help, you know, and they're really ready to engage. But I would say more so option A, more so option A as you've described. If they're absolutely at breaking point, you know, I guess it's when they do that for a couple of years and then eventually um, they sort of come back in and they're at breaking point, then they're then they're ready to have a conversation. So that's what you're finding too is that – so do some people never quote unquote break and by that I mean – come to the realization that they need to do something more than they're doing? Do some people just cruise to the end with just whatever's just keeping them alive? But but some people just have that, like, come to Jesus kind of moment where they're like, I have to do something about this. Is that basically how it goes? Yeah, that is. Yeah, yeah, that really is. It is exactly like that. What Do you see a difference between I know this is a, a huge generalization, but do you see a difference between the person who's just okay with my A1Cs nine? Um, I, I this is all I'm willing to do, and the people who have that moment is it a health scare or what? Is there something specific that pushes them? What do you see? Um, I'm sure there's varying I things, think, but 
Yeah, yeah. I think it is either uh, a health scare or often they sort of present as in I can't feel like this anymore in terms of how tired or how exhausted they are. Um, and I think it comes to a point where it all piles up and their body, you know, obviously running with the glucose is, uh, you know, up in a higher range for that period of time. I think eventually they just sort of think, you know what, I've had enough of feeling like this and and they sort of hit a turning point. You know, sometimes it can be something, you know, if they've gone through a divorce or something big happens in their life. Um, but often I think they just come in and they just say, like, I've had enough, you know, I, I'm at breaking point and I've had enough and I need to change. Okay. Yeah. So I see people doing it for others a lot. It's, it's, it, it's always like, you know, I realize it's hurting my relationship or I want to be around for my children or like that mm. kind of thing. Like there's always that. It, and, and it makes me wonder if there's not a way from the clinical side to create a relationship where they want to do it for you. And I'm going to say something mm. that might be incredibly silly, but um, this is going to sound weird, I guess. But my son's an incredible outfielder. You have baseball there. The the guy, you know, so he can, you know, it, it's fascinating how how good he is at it. Uh, catching a ball that is whacked around out of nowhere. Like if you and I stood next to him when the baseball was like struck you know, 400 feet into a gap on a field, you and I would still be standing next to each other while he was handing the ball, ha catching the ball. We'd be like, I'd be like, Rachel, wow, look, he ran all the way over there. That was amazing, wasn't it? And you'd be like, did you even see the ball? And I'd say, no, I didn't. And and like, you know, like that would be how it would go. But when he was yeah. young and he was learning, he did it for his coach. When he was nine mm. and 10 years old, I'd ask him, like, how do you do that? And his, his main, like, stressor i guess was he didn't want to let this man down that he liked who expected mm. something from him and it wasn't you know it wasn't it wasn't a, a crazy relationship it was like you have to do this or you know you're off the team they were little kids but they had built a relationship together and he didn't want to let the guy down like that was sort of it like he had he felt like he mm. was i don't know what the word is responsible to someone other than himself or I don't know what that is, but I wonder about that a lot. If, you know, maybe the things that we ask people to do aren't always reasonable. Like, go catch it for yourself. Make your make your A1C6. Do it for you. A lot of people have mm. self-esteem issues, and doing things for themselves is difficult. You, you know what I mean? And, like, yeah. I don't know. I don't know if there's a way to build a team mentality into it or not, but... I sometimes think the podcast does that a little bit. You, you know, I I would say that in the beginning of the podcast, it flew in the face of what people thought of as how to share online. You know, there used to, and I'm sure there still is, but I don't pay much attention to it. The idea of like, don't tell people your successes, it'll make them feel bad. And I don't mm. buy into that. I think your success should be looked at as possibility, not as a winning and losing scenario. It's not like I succeeded and you didn't. It's I succeeded and you could um, look, it's possible that person's doing it. If that person can do it, you could do it. I don't know. I think there's something to that. Um, yeah. Anyway. Uh, yeah. But li listening to your podcast, that's what I, you know, took away from it. Wait, right back, like right back at the start. Um, 
I was new to a CGM. You know, I was totally, this is right back when I was starting my diabetes education course. Mm-hmm. Prior to that, I was, I was a nurse in emergency and I never sort of specialized in diabetes. And I started using CGM. And you know, when you start with a CGM and you see that roller coaster and you think, there's got to be a way that this can be done differently, mm. you know? And you, and you try to talk to your diabetes team about it, but they get sort of a little bit stuck on your insulin to carb ratio, insulin sensitivity factor. But listening to your podcast gives you that ability to see that there's another way, you know? And you're not the only one thinking it because, I mean, how many people, you know, look, look at how many followers you've got now on this podcast or how many listeners. Everyone can sort of, it, well, not everyone, but I guess it depends on if they've got that motivation. But if you can see that there's another way to manage your diabetes and if you hear someone else achieve those results, it's, it's inspirational. You want to do it, you know, you want to go after it because it feels possible. In the middle of this holiday season, while you're doing things for other people, don't forget to do something good for yourself. The easiest thing that I can think of is to go to myomnipod.com forward slash juice box, fill out the tiniest bit of information, and to have Omnipod send you a free, no obligation demo of the Omnipod tubeless insulin pump. That way, when you get it, you can try it on or put it on your kid so you can see what it's like. I just wore a Dexcom CGM for 10 days, forgot it was there. And I've worn an Omnipod in the past, same thing happened to me. You just don't notice it after a little while, but that may be hard for you to believe if you never try. Well, this is your opportunity to try. Try for free, try with no obligation, and it's a non-functioning pod, so there's nothing to worry about. You just put it on to get a feel for it. Myomnipod.com forward slash juice box. If you're MDI right now and thinking about getting a pump, I think tubeless is the way to go. And if you're using another tube pump and you're thinking, hmm, I would like one without tubing, well, one exists, and this is an easy way for you to see if it's right for you. The Dexcom G6 Continuous Glucose Monitor is fantastic for anyone using insulin because you get to see the impact that food has on your blood sugar, and then you get to see how fast it moves in different directions. Does pasta make your blood sugar go up? Does it go up fast? Is that as fast as eating an orange? Hmm, who would know? Well, I would know, and so would everyone else who's ever worn a Dexcom G6 continuous glucose monitor. You owe it to yourself. If you're using insulin without a Dexcom, you're flying blind. Having a Dexcom is like having a co-pilot on both sides of you and one sitting on your head. Three co-pilots, which I guess goes against the word co-pilots. You'd have to call them tri-pilots. But now we're really getting off the subject. My point is, is that being able to see the direction and speed of blood sugar is monumental. And being able to get an alert that lets you know if you've left the range that you've set, that is like the whole ballgame right there. Dexcom also allows you to share blood sugars with up to 10 followers. So that could be your spouse, your kid, your grandma, whoever you want. There's 10 of them, though. So you'll probably give it to your school nurse if you wanted to or... Even if you've got like a well-meaning neighbor, I'm kidding about that. But you could if you wanted to. Say you were the person with this neighbor that was like, oh my God, this is the greatest guy in the world. He could help me with my blood sugar. Boom, done. Android and iPhone. So that pretty much covers everyone holding the cell phone and everyone holding the cell phone pretty much covers everybody alive. It's worth checking out. And you can at Dexcom.com forward slash juice box. 
And if you want to learn more, you just fill out the little form at the bottom. If you currently get your insurance through the U.S. military VA, you might really like what you hear. So go check it out. Dexcom.com forward slash juice box. Use the same continuous glucose monitor that my daughter does. And please don't forget T1DExchange.org forward slash juice box. Add your name to the registry. Help type one diabetes research while supporting the podcast. All right, let's get back to Rachel because there's a lot more coming. I agree. I really do. I think, and thank you. I'm glad it, I'm glad it ended up being valuable for you, but I, uh, I just can't, I couldn't agree more. Like I don't hide success and nobody knows what it looks like. You, you, do you know what I mean? Like you, mm. there's nothing to aspire to if there's nothing to aspire to. And so while everyone yeah. is doing, everyone who's doing well is just hiding because they don't want to quote unquote, make anybody feel badly. Well, these people already feel badly. They're A1Cs are eight and a half and they're spiking to 300 after every meal. They feel as badly as they're going to feel, you you know, and, and I don't buy into that argument that, um, you know, there'll be somebody out there that can't handle seeing it. And, and I don't disbelieve that. I do think there'll be somebody, Mm. you know, that will look and it'll just Mm. be too much for them. But, you know, say you're going to overwhelm one out of 10 people or 10 out of a hundred people and those people are going to be really hurt by seeing someone else's success. You can't ignore the mm. 90 out of 100 people who may not be hurt by it. Like, why do we all? Yeah. It's a, I mean, I, I, you don't want to leave anybody behind. And I don't think the podcast does leave people behind. I think even those 10 people who are going to be like, oh, my gosh, like, this is impossible. And here's even more proof it's impossible. I'm bad at this and they're good at it. I think if they try the podcast, they'll find out that it, it could be them as well. You know. Yeah, yeah, and and if I've got you know I've got my um I wear a Dexcom and I've got it running to my watch, and often I'll show patients you know oh look you know you can have your Dexcom run to your watch you know if this is people that are considering CGM, mm-hmm. and let's say it's a day that I've got a beautiful lovely flat line the dream, um it's interesting to see their reactions. It's exactly as you said they either see it and they go oh my goodness you know how do you keep yourself running steady, for that period of time right. and they're inspired by it. Or the reaction is, oh, I could never do that. You know, you're a completely different person to me. You're a diabetes educator. That's why you've got your nice, steady, flat line. So they they create a disconnect between the difference of them to me, you know, and then I try and sit for the next hour to break down that disparity that, no, no, we're both just two, you know, normal people. Right. And you have much as an opportunity to achieve a flat line as I did. You know what I mean? And that's self-esteem and self-confidence. And the goal then is to show them, look, I'm, I don't, I'm not special. Like I just know a couple of things you don't know, but here's the good news. I can tell them to you, you know, and they're not difficult. It's, it's not, it's not going to be trigonometry. Don't worry. It's, and that's the other problem is that they believe it's so completely, um, like numbers oriented and you're either a numbers person or you're not. I've heard people talk about diabetes in such basic ways. Like, well, I'm not a numbers person. I can't do it. I'm, and I say to them, look, this podcast 
exists for a number of reasons. One of them is because I don't like math. And, you know, and one of the other reasons <laughs> yeah. is I don't want to count carbs. And another reason is, you know, like there's all kinds of reasons why, like this podcast is a, is a, is, you know, it's the child of my laziness, basically. Yeah. You, you, like I, yeah. there's things that yeah. people told me diabetes was, and I was like, I don't want to do that, but I don't want my daughter to be unhealthy. So couldn't there just be another way? Um, and, yeah. and those ways are really, ex- you know, to me, they're explainable. So are you... I'm not trying to take credit here. I really am trying to understand. Are you are you using some of the things? Well, I guess for the first question has to be, how much of the podcast do you use in your personal life? A lot. A lot. <laughs> a lot. Yeah. Yeah. A lot. Um, and I think it's a combination. You know, uh, it is very similar to bumping and nudging, using that sort of concept. And then just personal experience, you know. Mm-hmm. I'm not afraid of, okay, last time I ate this food, I went high. So I'm going to put an extra insulin this time. Yeah. You know, I'm not going to sit and count the carbohydrates of it, but I'm going to throw in an extra two units because I know that I need it. Um, and then I think listening to the podcast gives me that push to do it. And then I think when I entered into being a diabetes educator, it's scary to then relay that to your patients, you know, because it's one thing for me to say, oh, I'm happy to throw in an extra two units, but then to portray that to your patients or advise your patients, um, okay, if you have that food next time, just throw in an extra couple of units, you know, see what happens. Go with your gut, go with your diabetes intuition uh, intuition, and um, see what happens. So I think I just kept coming back to the podcast just to, 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 to listen and to know that there's other diabetes educators and that there's other patients with type 1 that confidently and safely can use those principles. Yeah. It, it, what that part you just spoke about, that's where it happens. Like without that, it's useless to, to tell somebody, because uh, aside from being able to say to somebody, just use more insulin, what you're going to tell them is, and you said it earlier, well, maybe the insulin to carb ratio for that meal is different. And it is, but are you now mm. asking people to, on Tuesdays when they make meatloaf, believe that they have a different insulin to carb ratio than they do on Wednesday when they have a Caesar salad? And am I really supposed to think about all that for the rest of my life? Wouldn't it just be easier if on meatloaf night my blood sugar got higher? And, you, you know, like that kind of thing, which is why which is why the way I try to talk on the podcast is is so fluid, which is, you know... I, I just did it the other day. Somebody online in the private Facebook group was like, I don't know what the problem is here. I was like, you didn't use enough insulin. And they said, well, my, mm. you know, my car ratio work, works great for other meals. I'm like, I don't care for that one. It didn't work. So more. Mm-hmm. How much more? I don't know. Yeah. More. Try more and see what happens and keep playing with it until you figure it out. And the, and the decision to speak that honestly with people I think that when this mm. podcast is over and when I look back, that decision, just to be honest with people, might end up being the most important thing that I did here because yeah. that's the moment where everyone else just says, I-, I don't know, you know, maybe we should look at your ratios or, you know, they get, they take it back to technical and technical is not what you need in that situation because, it, because everyone's not living in a Petri dish, right? They have a life they're trying to, to, mm. to go through. It's not all clinical. It's easy to talk about it clinically, and I want people to understand it clinically. It's why we talked about glycemic load and index so much, and you know. But that's not 
that's not a fun thing to remember in the middle of, you know, Mm -hmm. in the middle of a a beach vacation where you're like, I'm going to get French fries at the beach. Like I, you don't want to sit around and go, I wonder what the glycemic load and index are of these fries. And, you know, you just want to, you just want your brain to go French fries more longer. Yep. Yeah, 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 exactly. Exactly. Yeah. There's two, there's two things that I often have have taken away from your podcast that I often drill into my consults. And the first one is if you're high, you need more insulin. That's it. If you're low, we need less. So we could sit around here, you know, for half an hour and, and try and figure out why you had that particular high. But like you say, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. We need more insulin. Let's do it and move on. Mm. Um, and the second thing that you often talk about is, um, I think it was in one of your earlier podcasts, you said, you know, I'm just I'm just this guy. And I think, you know, I look at the numbers, I see a number, and I don't have this big lot of emotion that's attached to it. You know, diabetes is such an emotional condition sometimes. I just think because, you know, the chronic nature of it and how much it can sometimes wear you down people can get so exhausted and so emotionally attached to seeing those numbers each day. But if you can remove the emotion from it and just look at a number and be like, okay, I need more insulin here or I need less or I'm rising, let's work on this. Um, it's a totally different, it, it feels like you're living with a totally different condition when you can remove that emotional side from it. I'm glad you heard that. And I completely agree, obviously. I said it, so it'd be weird if I didn't agree with it. <laughs> be strange. <laughs> be strange if I was just saying things and then in the back of my head going, oh, I don't think that at all. No, but I, yeah. I <laughs> that sounds like something fun to say. No, the being <laughs> the being disconnected from it is is incredibly important. And it and I wasn't always. There used to be times where I'd see a number and I was cursing, sometimes out loud, sometimes just in my head, and I thought, oh, I screwed this up. It's and then it's a cascade. Then I screwed this up. It's going to hurt her. She's going to be high. This is, you know, I knew it. Mm. Like I'm killing her. Like, you know, like that whole stuff, just all that. You have to stop your brain mm. from doing that to you. <laughs> you. You just, you, you can't, yeah. you can't let that happen because listen, yes, the number's not great, but no, I'm not killing her because her blood sugar went to 160, right? So, you know, I yeah. need to. The, the most important thing to do is to step back, see what happened, figure out how, not, how to fix it now and how to keep it from happening next time, you know, is obviously the next step. But to feel badly about it is it, it's just madness and it doesn't it's not going to stop. It's going to make you crazier and crazier as it goes until your brain does you the, the ultimate kindness that a brain can do, which is going to it's going to make you stop worrying about it so that you don't make yourself crazy. And it's just, it's a very human idea, except, you know, not being upset that your neighbor cuts the lawn at 7am, like finding a way to let that go is different than letting go that your blood sugar is 200 after every meal that that has real consequences. Um, yeah. And my neighbor is a lunatic in case you're wondering. So (laughs) want to hear something really sad. Hold on a second. I live across the street from people. Um, and it's a weird mix. There's a, an old, a much older woman and what appears to be her nephew, but he's a grown man. He's older than I am and they live together, which is already strange. Oh. But yeah. sometimes in the middle of the night, I am not making this up. You'll hear this um, metal snapping. This just, I can't do it. I don't have anything, but it's just like, you'll hear this outside. And if you look, 
this woman in her 70s is outside on her knees with a pair of kitchen shears cutting weeds. And that snapping is the, are the blades coming together. Um, I don't want to make fun of people's uh, mental illness, but I think there's something incredibly wrong. Um, and <laughs> That's so, the coping mechanism. Uh, Something's going on there. Well, I th- Listen, no joking. At some point, her brain said, I can't handle what I'm seeing. Go take care of the weeds. Yeah. Do, do you know what I mean? And I don't yeah. know that it's much different than I can't handle seeing these blood sugars over and over and over again. I'm going to stop worrying about them. I'm going to let them go yep. and throw call, you know, just, yep. I'll, you know, whatever people say to themselves, you know, I'll, I'll leave it up to, you know, I'll leave it up to Jesus. We'll, we'll see what happens, you know? And, um, you know, all yeah. the time I tell people like, you know, I see people praying online about their blood sugars. I'm like, don't pray. Jesus doesn't have your meter. Just give yourself more <laughs> insulin. Like I, I'll tell you what, you pray all you want, but I think if Jesus had your PDM in his hand, he'd be bolusing. So like, you know, like, let's, let's get to it. Um, and, and and so yeah. I don't know. I think there's something in there where it's it's simple to say people need to be empowered, but that doesn't really yeah. That's kind of a bullshit statement. Like right, like it's a nice thing people say, and then some people are really good at it, and some people aren't. You say, well, then then you then you put it on the people who aren't. Well, I guess you know they didn't try hard enough. Like that's not right. You, you know what I mean? It's not about mm. how hard you try. There's no one with type one diabetes that wants to be unhealthy. That person doesn't mm, exist, mm. you know? Yeah. Um, anyway, so how do you help people uh, make these leaps? Like, I'm interested in some, like, like real, like, nuts and bolts things. Like, when people tell me they see good CDEs, good doctors, mm. I feel like you're one of them. So how how do you end up being a, a friendly person who gets people to places? What's the process? I think... Um... I think it comes from being a patient myself first and having experienced the frustrations as a patient first. You know, some of my best consults and my most powerful or significant changes that come about is just by sitting and listening, you know, and it sounds so basic and it's like, you know, of course, Reg, of course you just have to sit and listen to the patient and address their needs. But sometimes just sitting and listening to the struggles that they have and validating them and I just sit there and I'm like you know what diabetes sucks it just sucks it's hard work and it's annoying and it sucks and it's not going to go away and we might just sit there and have a conversation about all the things that we hate about diabetes and how hard some things are and then that might be it that's the consult you know that's it and they will walk away feeling better than they have ever felt walking away from appointment you know ever before just because they've had that time to sit and confront the feelings you know how you mentioned they're tucking it away I often say you're putting your diabetes you know it's that can that that um can of beans and you're putting it at the farthest um the farthest spot in your in your kitchen cupboard you know up in your kitchen cupboard you put it right at the back and today we're going to get up on the stool in your kitchen cupboard you know, in your pantry and get that can back out because it's so easy to just tuck it back back there. You do the bare minimum, you keep yourself alive. But at one day, you know, I'm always going to be here. Uh, one day we're going to pull that can out and we're just going to open it, you know. And the day that you can open it and you can just sit and re- you know, confront it, confront the feeling that you're feeling, that's the day that you're going to be able to move forward. I feel like you saw me buy pinto beans three weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> Me out. I was like, how does she know I'm never going to make those pinto beans? <laughs> I'm like, I don't have 
time to soak beans overnight. (laughs) (laughs) Just tuck them on the top shelf. I just, I had such good intentions when I bought them. I was like, you know what? (laughs) Of course. And now I'm I'm just like, and I think I could do a really good job with them, right? Like, I think I can make my own baked beans, basically. And then I looked at a recipe and I was like, 12 hours, soak them overnight. What are you talking about? Yeah. yeah, you know that that's a diabetes consult. Often that's a diabetes consult. People walk and they're like, "Yeah, I'm gonna change my carb ratio and I'm gonna do this," and, and they walk away and they feel great. And the moment they walk out of the door, they don't often do any of the things. You know, they they don't do any of the things because then they think, "Oh, I've got to soak that for 12 hours." You know, and then right. and then it sort of hits them in a reality. And it's because they've never. I think they. I think you just need to front it and have have that conversation where you're going to sit down and, and, and face that it's hard and it's not going to be easy and there's going to be bumps in the road. And, and two, that there's no such thing as perfection. I think that's something that keeps people with type 1 diabetes down is that um, I've got patients that will make huge progress and then they'll come to me and they'll show me the reports and they'll be like, oh, you know, I don't, I don't think this is going to be a good read. I don't think these reports are going to be too good to look at. And you look at it and... You know, it's good. You know, it's good. I don't know if they're expecting to have 100% time in range or, or unicorn stable flatline CGMs every day. Okay. But I think just to be reminded that you're not, that there's no such thing as perfect. You're not always going to have your perfect day. They need to be told that. All right, Rachel, I'll make the beans. Leave me alone. Jesus. I was just going to donate them to a food kitchen or throw them away or something. But I mean, I guess if you're going to pressure me like this, then I'll take care of myself. Fine. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, I think that's in, it's very, very important that, that to realize as a person who's trying to educate somebody about something that it's not really something they're excited to hear about. And it's not something that yeah. sounds simple to them. And the traditional ways that it's been spoken about are confusing. And, and not exactly something that makes you want to go like, yeah, I'm going to do this. I, you know, I, when I'm speaking in public and I look out into the audience, there is always a couple of old time diabetics out there, just like people who have been in the fight for a long time, you know, and they were there before glucose monitors and probably they were there before decent insulin and decent meters and everything else. And Every mm-hmm. once in a while, I'll speak and I'll have somebody come up to me who's, you know, in their 60s. And they're like, this is just a revolution. I'm like, okay. Yeah, you know, like, I'm like, all right, I've been doing it for a while, but I hear what you're saying. You, you know, and, um, mm-hmm. and they're excited by it and they hear it. But there are some people who just turn their nose up at it like it's, like it's foul. Yeah. And they do not want to hear that this thing that they, that's, overwhelmed them for so long and been so difficult uh, is mm. is as easy as i don't know i would try more insulin here if i was you uh, they don't it, it it's i think it i think it breaks their heart to hear it kind of and their reaction is just one that's uh it's there to protect their psyche like the, he's wrong because yeah because, yeah or, or, or he doesn't understand he doesn't understand right. it's Be- more than that you because know? if i'm right then 30 years ago, someone could have just said that to them. There wasn't somebody saying these things 30 years ago, so it's not really possible, but it feels like a lot of wasted time. And I mean, I don't know about the rest of you, but here's a little insight to who I really am. Wasted time is about the worst thing I can imagine. It really makes me upset. 
I don't like when people mm. are um, like, if you, you, you ever been together with friends, you remember when people used to get together with friends and there'd be people in rooms. <laughs> I don't know. You're Australian. You guys probably aren't even afraid of COVID-19, right? Aren't you just a bunch of criminals? <laughs> like something like that. Like, <laughs> just, I hear prison much. populations are doing great with it. Cause they, these people are probably so <laughs> they're around each other in such close quarters. Probably nothing makes them sick. Um, but, but, Nevertheless, uh, I don't think everyone in Australia is a criminal, and let's move forward. <laughs> so, jeez, um, <laughs> oh, um, I think I've lost my train of thought. Uh, we can't do these things so early in the morning for me, right? <laughs> All right, hold on, let's go backwards. Um, I was about to make a point. Um, ah, no, it was good. It was good. I think your brain is trying to save you. Do you know what I mean? Because when you hear that your health has been the way it has been for so many decades and there was an easier answer, I think that reality could break you. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Like, I just don't, I don't think it's yeah. good. I've, I've spoken to people where I've watched it happen, where they just, they're like, yeah. why did no one tell me this? And it's crushing. And I can't t say that yeah. I blame them. You, you know, it's, um, yeah, it's tough. So I, I, I you know, I, I, I'll be the bad guy sometimes. I'll stand up there and just go, all right, yeah, you know, I'm wrong. It's fine. Um, but some of those people have sway within the community. And that's when mm -hmm. I don't, that's when it becomes dangerous for people moving forward. When you're a person who's lived with diabetes for 30 years, either as a caregiver, or as a person in, in general, and, and you've got the ear of someone and you start saying things like, oh, you know, that's dangerous talk, you know, more insulin. What's that mean? Mm. You, you know, like that's not yeah. a measurement. People are going to hurt themselves. People aren't hurting themselves now with their A1Cs is nine. Like, what's your point? Like, yeah. do you really think if your A1C is nine, that an extra unit somewhere is going to be the ruination of you? Do, do you know what I mean? Like, it's yeah. the beginning of understanding that you need more insulin and then you can see it happen and, and say, oh, wow, I used to go to 180, but now I'm going to 160. I wonder what a little more would do. I wonder what a little more would do. I wonder what a little sooner would do. And then you're there one day. It's just, yeah. I, I don't want to say it's easy, but I mean, I, Rachel, isn't it kind of easy? You know what I mean? <laughs> like, once you start doing it, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I'm, I'm interested, Scott, if this was, you know, if we were talking back 20, 30 years ago and – I, th I think what the concepts that you talk about, I think it matches the time that we're in. That's where our technology is at yeah. and that's what we can do. But if we had this conversation before we had CGM, I don't think we'd be here. I don't think you'd have your podcast the same way that you have it now because Although I think be without this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But because we have that CGM, we can be bold, you know. So I don't know if people, you know, maybe they might look back 30 years ago. They, they can't think that they've been ripped off because no one told them this. I think exist. back to when I was a teenager and, and, and I resent, I resent how much I struggled as a teenager with, with my type 1 mm -hmm. and how much I felt like my medical team couldn't help me. You know, I felt like every time I went in and everything was completely up and down and rada, 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 I felt like I left just feeling even more hopeless because they'd be like, mm, well, there's no patterns here. So I'm not too sure what what ratio or sensitivity factor I want to change. Um, so let's not make any changes. And, and you go away and you monitor five times a day for the next two weeks and send us a new levels. You know, right. I think that was just something that happened every time. But I, I wonder if I had CGM back then, would would I be doing what I'm doing now?
course you would be. You'd figure it out somehow. You really would. And yeah. and that's, listen, I hear you. You're 100% right that if I, if I was in a time machine and I started saying these things in the 70s, people would be like, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know. I can't even see what my blood sugar is. I can't just give myself too much insulin. You know, that's how they would, it would feel to them. But what I'm saying is that in present day, now that we know what we know and have what we have, for someone to sit in roadblock of other people's happiness in order to protect mm. someone else's psyche is a weird decision to make. Like, I don't want someone who's had diabetes for 40 years to feel badly. I'm not saying that. But that person's still alive now, and they can move forward in a different space. Like, why do we keep pretending it's 1980? Is that it, so that the person yeah. who lived through 1980 doesn't feel bad? What about all the people who are here in 2020 who don't need to be living like it's 1980? Like there's, yeah. if, if I'm good at being dispassionate about the diabetes and the numbers, I'm also good about being dispassionate about that. Like, and, and some people aren't. Some people are so worried about protecting feelings that they don't think about all the new people they're hurting by talking about this thing like it's 30 years ago. That that's all. I just yeah. That's how I yeah. See some it. people are, are are definitely stuck. Yeah, I a hundred percent agree. Yeah. yeah, I meet a lot of different educators, endocrinologists, yeah, all different disciplines that are just right. stuck. I agree that they're stuck in nineteen eighty and they're not moving forward with with what we're learning. It just it, there's so much good stuff that exists right now. It's it's fascinating. Mm. To, it's fascinating to me that you'd want to ignore it or not learn it or. Um, or whatever other reasons happen. Like I get for the people who are living with it, but I mean, if you're teaching someone, if you're, mm. if you're teaching someone how to live with diabetes and you see that there's a better way and you don't know that way, I don't know how it's not your full force in life to figure out that new way so that you can help those people. I don't know how in good conscience you keep telling people old information. That seems strange to me. Yeah. I think, I think they're just scared of the hypos. That's one thing that I, it's a common thing. People are just scared of their patients having hypos. Yeah. No, I understand. Just. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, it's, it, why are we not scared of the other part? Like, I, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, like, no, I agree. what we've chosen? I heard someone say the other day that they're, you know, it, obviously I know people say this in the community, uh, medical community, but I haven't heard it in so long that it shocked me. Uh, my endo told me it's better to be high than low. And now I'm listening yeah. to your podcast and I don't know what to do. And I said, well, I'm not yeah. your doctor and I am not, I'm not even a doctor. I have no medical, you know, I'm not giving you any advice. I was like, but all I can tell you is that I wake up every day. And the first thing that I think about diabetes is I'd rather stop a lower falling blood sugar than fight with a high one. Like I have to remember that. Yeah. That's just, that's got to yeah. be. The first thought in your mind with diabetes, I'd ra I want to be down here. I want to be playing down here, not up here. And mm. you know, if 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 somebody has to have a juice box or has to do something to stop a low, it is far better than fighting with highs. Um, and by the way, don't make that your norm for the rest of your life. Figure out why you're getting low and stop it at some point. But you know, in a world where everyone gets low anyway, why not get low? This is going to sound weird because I don't mean this exactly this way. I was going to say, why don't, why not get low on purpose? I'm not saying that people are getting low on purpose. I'm I, I'm saying I'd rather, mm. you know what I mean? If you're going to be super high, eventually you're going to overbolus it and and cra crash down low. 
and have no idea how much insulin's in you and be in a complete just free fall that starts a eat the kitchen situation that throws you onto the roller coaster, you know? So why not just be yep. 80 and go, oh, it's, you know, it's not working out this one time. I'm 65 before bed. I'm going to have to do something. You, you know, like that's, yeah. that, that just makes, that just makes sense to me. You, you know, I don't know. I'm glad it makes sense to you. Yeah, no, but pe- pe- when they're on that roller coaster, you know, when they're on the roller coaster and they're up and down, I often just sit there with the report and I'm like, you are on the roller coaster and you've got no idea how hard you're making this for yourself because you're stuck on that up and that down. Mm-hmm. And like you said, that is just as dangerous and just as scary to be on that up and down roller coaster. But also, too, when you're on that roller coaster, everything's harder. When you're up, you're up there for hours. It takes so long to get back down. You finally get back down and you think, okay, great, now I'm going to hypo. And then you end up having a hypo and then you overtreat and you're up on the other end. But when you bring it all in, it, it, I always say to my patients, you're going to think I'm crazy. You're going to think I'm absolutely crazy. But the tighter that you manage it and the more that you sort of bump and nudge your levels, the easier your management actually is. Because if you're fighting just, you know, an angled arrow up or a straight arrow up, it's so much easier than fighting and I, I know you guys don't use millimole, but, you know, a 15 millimole with a double arrow up, it actually becomes so much easier when you pull away from that fierce up and down mm-hmm. roller coaster. Yep. It's pretty easy. Like, it's it's just, and it, <laughs> I mean, it's really, there's not much to it. I'd, you know, it, it, it's, <laughs> if you don't get high, you won't get high. And if you don't get high, you won't have to crush it with insulin that's most definitely going to make you low and scare you, and rightfully so, into eating more food than you need. Mm. At some point, you have mm-hmm. to say, enough's enough. I got to stop this somewhere and and not just keep this going forever. And, and, and it doesn't even stop. It goes into overnights. Like now you're getting super high overnight or super low overnight. It's at the point now where someone shows me a graph. I'm like, I mean, do you not see what's happening here? You, you know, like it's, it's, <laughs> but, but they don't. They see, they see randomness. It all looks like chaos to them. And I mean, yeah. I'm glad to be able to see it. But I think everyone can see it eventually. I'm telling you, the longer this podcast goes and the more people it reaches, the more experiences I get to watch people have. And those experiences yeah. prove over and over and over again how doable this is for large variations of people. It's not just one kind of person who gets it. Like, you know, with the way diabetes is taught traditionally, it is one person. It's that person who can put themselves in rock hard shape and stay in it and go to the gym at 5 a.m. no matter what. Like that that person, diabetes is easy to them. They just put that kind of focus onto the diabetes. But for everyone else mm. to make them feel like, oh, this isn't for me, that good health isn't for me is just a lie. It's not true. And I think I think that if you, you know, I swear to you, I think those pro tip episodes are it's like a master's class in 30 hours on diabetes and and it really oh really, yeah it, yeah yeah do you listen yeah. have you listened i will to just them? i will just tell yes yeah and i will just tell my patients you know go, go, go and listen to you know scott's pro tips scott and, and and jenny you know i think you guys are incredible at summarizing um just the real key concepts for optimal diabetes management and then just b- portraying in a way that just seems so simple 
you know, I, I would happily just have my patients just sit and listen to your podcast. I mean, it would put me out of a job, surely. And the thing is, if, if it didn't work, your podcast would not be where it, where it is today. Oh, no, right. If we were just talking shit and <laughs> just trying to <laughs> trying to have a popular yeah, yeah. podcast, you know, it, obviously people would tail away from it at some point. But listen, uh, Jenny, is, yeah, yeah. here's the secret about Jenny is that she's so wrapped in this Midwestern feeling and she's, you know, she's got that kind of like, it's a little all shucksy, but when you talk to her per- like personally, like I know Jenny, Jenny's just me in a nicer wrapping. <laughs> so like when it comes to diabetes, <laughs> right? Like she wants to, like, like, I think if, if you were alone with her, she'd be like, I don't know, use more insulin there. That just makes sense. Doesn't it? And, and so she's, um, I just very much, I love her and i um, so happy. I actually just spoke the other day to Ginger Vieira, who is the person who introduced me to Jenny. And I thanked her again. And it's been years now. I was like, I really have to thank you because Ginger sent me a note one day and said, you should have Jenny on your podcast. You guys really, you agree about diabetes. You should, you know, you should have her on. And, um, mm. and if it wasn't for that, I never would have met her, honestly. So, uh, yeah, I, I just think that it's, um, it's very cool that you as a, as a person who's educating somebody would say to somebody, Hey, listen, have you heard about this podcast? Uh, you know, all the pro tips are at diabetesprotip.com. Why don't you go check them out? Like that thing to me is huge and not just because it helps the podcast, which it really does. And I appreciate, but not just because it helps people, but because it, 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 it moves us closer to my end goal, which is that the way you're talking to people is how educators should be talking to people. And that yeah. one day, you know, not just this podcast won't be necessary, but people won't have to struggle and have these horrible decisions to make. Am I going to trade today for tomorrow? Now, that is not something we should mm-hmm. ask people to have to cognitively decide. Like, am I just going to enjoy today? But but give away the last 15 years of my life. You know, is that what this is? Is that, yeah. is that, that's not the only choice. And it's bizarre that to me, it's bizarre that a lot of people feel like that is a choice. Like I'm just going to, you know, live fast and die hard. That's a, did I get that saying wrong? What is that saying? Live fast and die no, young. Live, no, live fast. You don't know you're from Australia. You say concession. It doesn't even mean the same thing. <laughs> Are you gonna know? All, of your, you all of your animals have pockets, and you're trying to tell me you understand? <laughs> yeah, it's bizarre. <laughs> Do you sit here and think? No, no, but you're right. I think. Good. Go on. No, you were going to agree with me. I never stop anybody from agreeing with me. You were, what were you going to say? <laughs> <laughs> no, I was going to say, I agree. I think there is an, a huge opportunity to change the landscape of diabetes healthcare. I think I think it that's the reason I got into becoming a diabetes educator because we need we need to change the healthscape the, the landscape of diabetes education. I 100%. There's a whole other way that it can be done, a, a completely different way. So I, I have the same vision, Scott. I have the exact same vision. Thank you. Well, I have a phone call tomorrow with a large organization that is um, uh, very much in charge of how healthcare educators are directed and I am going to put my full excitement and, and thought into that phone call and then they're going to ignore me. But just so you know, I'm not giving up. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> I do that every day. Yeah. Every day. I booked this phone call and I was like, oh, here's an example of me talking for 20 minutes. Everybody going, oh, oh yeah, yeah. And then hanging up the phone and going, that guy's a lunatic. <laughs> so, but I'm not going to stop. <laughs> He's crazy. Oh, please. We can't tell people that. That'll kill them. Sure, it will. Uh, yeah, yeah. The podcast is, uh, is reaching all the people it's reaching because, you know, it's not like to your point, like it, it is what it is. It, it works. If it didn't work, it wouldn't work. By the way, I want you to know that I have um, completely decided to find Helena Safia Hamami, who is part of the snail venom study. And I'm going to get her on the damn podcast. <laughs> I'm going to kill myself to get this woman <laughs> on the podcast to tell me about this. She was, she, she got her PhD at the university of Melbourne. But she's on staff of the Melbourne. Universe. I just love the way you said that. Well, how? Oh, the way I said that again. By the way, all that really thoughtful <laughs> stuff you just said about the the state of healthcare. I was going to say, do you ever sit in Australia and wonder why our animals don't have pockets? <laughs> <laughs> So thank God I let you go instead. I've, I've never, I've never considered that our animals have pockets. You, you don't, you, never, you've never looked never. at America and been like, why do those deer not have pockets on them somewhere? <laughs> Where are their pockets? What, what, where's the tiger's pocket? I mean, you're closer to Africa. Did you ever just be like, where are the lion's pockets at? I don't understand. How does a caribou not have a pocket? <laughs> See, you got to flip things around once in a while. Oh, my life has changed. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so I'll never, yeah. Tell I'll me never how look I miss, an animal the same. Tell me how I just mispronounced that city. What should I have said? Melbourne. You just swallowed like five of the letters. Just so you know. You just you went mm. Melbourne. Yeah. <laughs> Did I get closer? <laughs> just 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 Melbourne. Yeah, that was closer. That was it's closer. like you Melbourne. fell asleep Not after Melbourne. the L. You were like <laughs> Melbourne. Where are Melbourne. you from? Melbourne. <laughs> what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I said it more correctly mumbling it than, than I did when I was pronouncing the letters. And you're from like, where are you from, Brisbane? Where's that from? I, I, how did this happen to you people? Is it because you're all like surrounded by the water? Is it scary being surrounded by water? <laughs> No, it's great because we get less coronavirus. It's well, excellent. This is well, the best time to be living on an island. When that place caught fire, you never once thought there's nowhere to run? <laughs> That's fine. You just go to the water. We've got plenty of water around. <laughs> and then there's so sharks. Just run to the edge. You're, run to the edge. Run to the sharks? Is that what you just said? Run out to the great whites that Shark Week wouldn't exist without and just, yeah, good luck. You better start building a raft. That's all I'm saying. And where are you going to go? You're going to have to go to New Zealand. Yeah, look, I hadn't thought that far. Yeah, well, you better figure it out. <laughs> I need a plan. We yeah. have to save you. You're the only one helping people. Well, that's not true. But you're you're helping people with diabetes in, in Australia. That's We need to save you. So do you think that the popularity – I'm going to let you go in a second. But do you think the popularity of the podcast in Australia can specifically be – attributed to the fact that this is not the kind of information you can get there or is there a rise in diabetes there like i am starting to look at where diabetes is more prevalent and where the podcast is more popular and there is i guess not unsurprisingly a correlation uh it just wasn't something i ever considered before yeah i think um it was the former of what you said that they can't you can't get this information yeah, this is not like a freely accessible information. You can go to 
hundreds of different diabetes doctors or diabetes nurses. But the information that you get on this podcast is it's another level. You, you can't you just can't access that. Wow, I wish you knew me my whole life so you'd know how ridiculous that feels to, for me to hear. <laughs> like you, Unless, of course, if they come and see me. But otherwise. <laughs> let me just tell you the opposite of this. If you and I grew up together and you felt like that now, when you explained it to somebody, you would say something like this. Can you believe that that idiot, Scott, <laughs> like, you remember Scott, right, from school? Yeah, he's doing it. It's weird. Like, people listen, and it's helping them. It doesn't make any – how was it him? It just – it. trust me, it doesn't make any sense that it shouldn't be me, which I think is – or even a person like me, I don't think. But I think that's why it is because – I had no yeah. preconceived notion of what was right. And when I heard things that are right, just like I had been doing my entire life, I was like, that doesn't make sense. I'm not doing that. You know, like I can remember being yeah. a little kid and my dad saying, uh, you know, you need to be nice to him. He's your elder. And even at like nine years old, I pulled my father aside and I was like, listen, I don't know if you realize this or not. That guy's a jackass. And I am not <laughs> I am not willing to give him any kind of respect or time just because he was born before I was. Um, like those things that don't make sense to me have never made sense to me. And I do not spend yeah. any time with bullshit, really. Like that just is, it's not okay for me. So when I saw things about diabetes that didn't make sense, I got trapped like everybody else. I was like, this is right. This is what I'm being mm -hmm. told. But it did not take me long to say, I am not going to let this make me crazy or make me give up on my daughter's health. So I'm going to throw away everything that everyone's saying and think of something else because this is just not okay. Yeah. You know, so I'm yeah. happy. Yeah. But I think that that's, that's what makes it so, uh, I don't know if I want to say relatable, but it, you know, as an Australian, I would say you're just, you're just an honest, genuine bloke. You know, that's how I would describe you. And I think having that, having those traits makes it, feel all the more achievable you know you're it's just, just i think that's that's part of it you're just saying that because i'm wearing pants with pockets and sub <laughs> subconsciously i love the pockets you love the pockets really um and it's very, you got me by the way rachel loves the pockets pretty close to the title of this episode just so you know um yeah listen i really appreciate that and i i'm gonna have to start telling my wife listen be nicer to me because i could just throw myself back on the market to people with diabetes and i could get a nice line of ladies so um <laughs> not that you i'm not saying you i'm just saying in general there are people who there are people who respect me just none of them live with me <laughs> that's just everybody's <laughs> life i think right like i always imagine like peyton manning or wait i need a australian like do you have any famous people there <laughs> like, uh, the, oh, all right, i got it now imagine that hemsworth guy right is he okay do yeah we like him? yeah, all yeah. Right. by the way which, yeah we like him, which yeah. one do you prefer the thor or the other one liam the other one the other one the okay other one. so let's imagine liam has some children did he not date the miley cyrus that must have brought you down a little bit, yeah. huh? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Oh, it, yeah, it did, it did, yeah. <laughs> Although, I like her. I'm just saying, you know, she seems a little strange. But that's I just not... wouldn't think it. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. So anyway, he comes in in the morning like a wrecking ball. He's got these children, and he's going to bring them breakfast. And he does. I don't think the kids sit there and think, Liam Hemsworth just brought us breakfast. I think that idiot 
made my cereal soggy. Like, that's how they, you know, like, you know what I mean? Like, nobody in your own <laughs> home sees you. Not that I'm Liam Hemsworth. I'm just saying, trust me, I'm probably the furthest thing from Liam Hemsworth. I don't even know who he is. But um, <laughs> all this is making me think of is that inappropriate um, joke that uh, I've heard so many women who love the Marvel movies tell. Uh, they, they, they talk about Chris Hemsworth, and they say, uh, I'd let him make me Thor. <laughs> did that even resonate with you? Did that did that get to you? Yeah. Should I have swallowed the last few words and just went Thor like that? Would you have understood better? <laughs> All right, listen, this is yeah, getting off the rails, right. and that's I've right. already recorded a weird episode this week, so I can't do I can't do too many more. I think I'm getting too comfortable doing this. By the way, in case you're wondering, um, <laughs> I used to feel like there was a need for the the podcast episodes to have some sort of. Uh, I don't know, like conformity, and now I don't, I don't even care. <laughs> just like, I'm like, let's just keep talking. Um, anyway, did you? Did we not say anything that you meant to say that that I talked over or made pocket jokes around it? Or are we good? <laughs> no, no, no. I came in with no in, no intention. So no, no, that's it. That's good. <laughs> there you go. Just- <laughs> I did a Scott. I did a Scott. I was like, I'll come in with no idea. No idea what we're going to talk about and see what happens. When people over-prepare for the podcast, it makes me nervous. When they start talking and I think, they're more prepared for this than I am. <laughs> I start feeling inadequate. I was like, oh, geez, should I have made a list? I didn't really, like, I'll, sometimes I'll be talking to somebody. No lie. Hold on a second. I'll be talking to somebody and I'll hear, like, paper rattle in the background. I'm like, do you have paper? <laughs> and they're like, yeah. <laughs> like, what's written on it? And they start telling me, I'm like, oh, my gosh, wow. Thank you. Appreciate you taking this so seriously. Um, I uh, here, here. I'll, I'll give you this, and then I'll let you go. This is don't let this be crushing. Five seconds before I record with people, I do a search in my inbox for their name, look for their email, and go, "Oh, yeah, Australia CDE. I remember this." And then, and then I go, "Hi, Rachel." <laughs> <laughs> and then we start talking and i think that's part of my genius yep. so whatever <laughs> and i don't mean genius in the, in the standard sense of the word i mean genius in the australian sense sort of like concession so um i need you to look into that for me and find out why they're called concession i'm cards. going to i'm abs that, that that's my first goal as soon as i get off this thank you i i have six you have six months to tell me but if you could just send me an email and tell me why they're called concession cards i'm going to like plug it in at the end of the episode all right listen go to bed it's late there you have to rest up so you can run away from wild animals and snakes and things like that and you live in a city right yes yeah so, so you don't yep. like normally see a snake is that right a snake? Oh, yeah. No, there's still snakes in the backyard. Are they big and scary? Can they hurt you, or are they just regular ones? Uh, it depends. I mean, most of them, they're okay. Most of them, like a green tree, you know, they're not going to hurt you. But definitely, I would say, you know, at least once a year, you'll have a brown snake in the pool or in the back garden or something. And a that, brown that snake one, in the pool sounds like a little kid took a shit in the pool, but that's not what you're saying. You're saying... <laughs> That, yeah, no, no, okay. no. You're no. saying, you're saying, and, and so when there's a brown snake or a venomous snake in your pool, how do you, what do you do? What, what's the next step? You get the, the, um, pool net, you know, the pool cleaner and, and try and just sort of flick it away, get it out, flick it away. What if it goes in your house? Well, you close the doors. You, close the, you I feel like people have such an interesting, um, 
imagination about Australia. <laughs> you just, to me, here's what you just said to me. I live on Mars. That's what you just said to me. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You just said, Scott, we can't even breathe. The atmosphere here is not hospitable to life. Like, that's what you just said. Like, my brain is yelling, why won't this woman move out of that wasteland? Like, like, like a snake in your... Po- but I realize there are places in America where, like, you know, bears wander into people's yards and there are rattlesnakes. Exactly. But exactly. I don't understand why people don't leave those places either, just so you know. <laughs> I got to be honest with you. If I woke up one day and there was a bear at my back door, I wouldn't live here three days from now. <laughs> just be like, I got to yeah. go. Gosh. Uh, yeah. But I'm, yeah. I'm uh, maybe a word that I shouldn't say on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm going to stop the recording and tell you that I was going to say that. That seems unfair, doesn't it? Thanks so much to Rachel for coming on the show and sharing her story and giving the chit chat with me. I had a great time. Thanks also to the Dexcom G6 Continuous Glucose Monitor and the Omnipod Tubeless Insulin Pump. Find out more at Dexcom.com forward slash juicebox myomnipod.com forward slash juice box. And don't forget the T1D exchange, t1dexchange.org forward slash juice box. Looking for those diabetes pro tip episodes that you hear everybody talking about? You can find them right there in your podcast player or at diabetesprotip.com. I'll be back very soon with another episode made just for you. How about a little bonus chit-chat from right before we started recording this episode? You talk when you were speaking prior with the video and it just went, so I wasn't really hearing you. And then then all of my bad jokes about like what part of the Australian jungle you live in started popping. It's like, oh, this is it. She lives on a she's somewhere on a koala bear farm in the middle of that island. Uh, <laughs> That's exactly it. I, Accurate representation. Thank you so much. I really uh, I like to show off my geography uh, during the podcast. <laughs> no, this is actually better. It hasn't done it since then, so that's good. Not that it wasn't nice. Okay, to see but it'll be more important if people can hear. I actually left a little bit in the episode I put up yesterday, which I think I recorded like six months ago, but I left a little Mm. bit of of us talking in the beginning about that. And the truth is with a podcast, if it doesn't sound right, it doesn't matter what you're saying. People will flake out and just leave it. They won't listen to the audio. It's very, it doesn't matter what you're talking about. You could be like, so this is how you become a billionaire. And people be like, not if it's going to go in and out. It's not, I'm not listening. So it's interesting what people will uh, spend their time with and not, although I have to agree with them. I don't, I don't like it to, to sound poorly either. Um, you, are yeah. you good on that end? Yeah, no, I'm great. Thank you. Yeah. Back going. And all right. What time is it there? Uh, it's 9 PM. For some reason, it's Australia week here. So you are the third person from Australia I've recorded with in less than a week. Oh, really? Yeah. So you, you got a lot to go to go here because I'm completely out of stupid things to say about Australia. So you and I are going to have to have a real conversation. <laughs>